Father in heaven, I think of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Father, do that for me now. And open the understanding of your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our message for this morning is entitled, All or Nothing. All or Nothing. Mark chapter 12, reading from verse 28. Mark 12, reading from verse 28. All or Nothing. If someone next to you does not have a Bible, please do the Christian thing and let the person read along with you if he or she wants to. Mark 12, reading from verse 28, all or nothing. The Bible says that one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Let us examine the response that Jesus gave to this scribe. Which is the first commandment of all? The chief, the principal. And Jesus said correctly, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Now, Christ was quoting from the Old Testament. There are churches today who call themselves New Testament Christians. And they disregard entirely the fact that whenever Christ preached, or the apostles preached, they quoted liberally from the Old Testament. They forget that the God who walked on the shores of Galilee is the same God who called Moses out of the burning bush. The same person, Jesus Christ. He wasn't called Christ then, but it was the same person, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and see where Christ was quoting when he responded to that scribe. Our subject is all or nothing. Deuteronomy 6, reading verses 4 and 5. And these are the words that God gave to Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, if you combine what is recorded in Deuteronomy 6.5 with what Jesus said in uh, Mark 12, verse 29 and 30, what you have is, we must love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, and might. Now, when the scribe responded, verse 32 of Mark 12, And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, the scribe adds something. What the scribe added was accepted by Jesus because we're told that when Jesus saw that He answered discreetly. So Christ 
accepted what he said. So what we have is the Bible says we must love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, might, and understanding. Now, however you are defined these six things, with emotional makeup, your intellect, your spiritual side, your physical side, whatever it may be, what the Bible is saying, we must love God with everything we have. Now, biblically, there's no difference between love and obedience. There really isn't. If you read the second commandment, which says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, Ah, yes, they are connected. You cannot separate obedience from love. For all practical purposes, they are the same. And so when the Bible says, love God with all your heart, it means obey him with all your heart. The question I'm asking now, what gives God the right to make that kind of demand? Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your understanding, with all your strength and mind and might. On what basis can he make that claim? There's a principle by which God functions, one of many. Let's see some examples of that principle in operation. Let's go to John chapter 13. We shall read from verse 13 as we continue, all or nothing. John 13, reading from verse 13. This is a chapter where the Last Supper is recorded in greatest detail. We have John 13, reading from verse 13. The Bible says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, hath washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have done what? Giving an example that ye should do as I have done to you. The principle is what God requires of us. He demonstrates first. Let's stay in John. Go to chapter 15. John 15, reading from verse 12. Do we have that? This is my commandment, that ye love one another. How? As I have loved you. In other words, the standard for love is God's love. He set the standard first. Then he defines that love. Greater man hath no love, greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And Christ is the lamb slain from how far back? The foundation of the world. So that example was set even before the world was made. There was a universal example of love. And that love is entirely self-sacrificial. And God says, that's how you love one another. Now, if that's how you love one another, and love to God is greater than love for one another, can you imagine what it means to love God? If I am required to love you to the point of giving my life, what is required when I love God? And my love for God must exceed my love for those on the, there was this horizontal level. He set the example, then he said, follow it. 1 John 4, 19. Another example of this principle in operation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. 
Do we have that towards the back of the Bible? 1 John 4.19, our subject is all or nothing. Do we have it now? Read it with me nice and loud. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. What God requires of us, he demonstrates first. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Reading from verse 31. Ephesians 4, reading from verse 31. Do we have that? Read with me. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? For Christ's sake. Now, we must forgive how? The way God forgives. There's a principle by which God functions. God says, watch me. Then you do it. Is that clear? Watch how I loved you. Then you love me the same way as is humanly possible. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, when God gave Jesus, what did he give? Because he set the example of giving. When he gave the best. When God gave Jesus Christ, whom or what did he give? Because he set an example he requires us to follow. Let's look at Jesus, who he is. Let's go to Colossians 1, reading from verse 16. What's our subject? All or nothing. It's not all or some. It's all or nothing. And that is based on a physical principle. You remember I told you, I uh, don't remember when it was, that as in the physical, so in the spiritual. Did I tell you that? Yes. For those of you who study the sciences, physiology, muscle physiology, you know how a muscle cell contracts. How? You didn't pass that class? It's all or nothing. A muscle fiber, for those of you who go to the gym, when you curl that barbell, each individual fiber that is recruited to meet that load contracts maximally or it does not contract. So there's a physical law, all or nothing. Now, as in the physical, God contracted his divine muscles to save us. How? Maximally. What book did I send you to? One Verse 16, let's read from there. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Now combine verses 16 with 17. 16 tells us who made everything and who was that? Jesus Christ. Yes. And the Father acknowledges that. And there's an interesting conversation, or one-sided conversation, I should say, in Hebrews chapter 1, where God is talking to the Son, and the Son doesn't answer back. We just have God's side of this conversation. 
And God says in verse uh, 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. What does God call the Son? Come on, say it. God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. This is God the Father addressing the Son. Verse 9, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now listen to what the Father says of the Son in verse 10. And thou, Lord, go on, read with me. In the beginning has done what? Laid the foundation of the earth, finished the first, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Now this is God the Father. Publicly stating who the creator is. Now we go back to Colossians 1.16 and we have a, a restricted list of the things Christ has made. 17 tells us that it is in him that all these things, as some versions say, hold together. The King James says, in him all things consist. Now what does consist mean? Let the Bible define that. Hebrews chapter 1, reading from verse 3. As we continue, all or nothing. Hebrews 1, reading from verse 3, or just verse 3. We have Hebrews chapter 1, reading verse 3. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding most things by the word of his power. Upholding all things, how? By the word of his power. The Bible is clear. If you read Colossians 16 again and 17, we have all things mentioned four times. All things is repeated in Hebrews 1.3, and the message is, God made all things, that's God the Son, and he upholds and sustains everything that he makes. In other words, the only thing Jesus did not make was what? God the Father and God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit, I should say. Because you can't create God. Are you with me? God has always been there. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's a mystery. We'll understand a little about it when we get to the other side. How many want to get to the other side? I'm very serious. I want to get to the other side. Everything else was created by Christ. And everything Christ creates he sustains. That's a principle by which he functions. Some of you look puzzled. Let me say it again, differently. If Honda produces a car, it is very possible that someone from a Chevrolet plant can fix it. Am I right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I've taken my car, 92 Subaru, I have to take it in from time to time. It's aging. But I don't take it to Subaru dealer, too much money. I take it to some general mechanic, and he does the same thing. But with Jesus, what he makes, only he can fix. Are you following me? Now, even if it doesn't need fixing, what he makes, only he can do what? Sustain and maintain. That's a principle by which God functions. By the way, salvation is a work of creation. And the principle applies spiritually as well. If Christ changes your life, which is a work of creation, then he is morally bound to do what? Sustain you. Those amens are weak. Come on, say amen. amen. 
A lot of people don't want to give their lives to Christ because they think, if I give my life to Christ, my life will crash. And they don't understand there are legal implications, as I said last night. When you give your life to Christ, Christ becomes morally and legally responsible for you. Now, this was the person God the Father gave at the risk of failure and eternal loss. Our subject is all or nothing. Ellen White writes in 1888 Materials, page 569, paragraph 1, in, in one great gift, referring to God, he poured out for us all the treasures of heaven. This is also biblical. In the story of the prodigal boy, when the father received a boy who had run away and spent all his money, in verse 25, the Bible says, Now his eldest son was in the field. Verse 25 of Luke 15. Now his eldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed a fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgress I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And the father said to him, Son, listen to the words, thou art ever with me. What are the next few words? The father of that boy represented God. All that I have is for you. All God has is wrapped up in Jesus. Now God had a choice. I can let that world perish, destroy it, or I can give everything I have by giving my son and risk losing him and thereby losing everything. Not losing some, losing everything. It's all or not. You see, God couldn't send Gabriel because God would have something left. You can't have a backup plan for Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate plan. We believe in backup plans. Those of you who apply to medical school or dental school, you apply to six and seven. Am I right? So if you don't get into Harvard, University of Michigan is second, then Loma Linda, University or whatever. <laughs> Am I right? So you, you've got it. You're strategic in your application. You have the top level, middle level, lower level. Somewhere along the line, I'll get into one of these schools, not God. God said, look, I just have one plan. That's all I have. That's Christ. If this doesn't work, as we say, I'm up a creek without a paddle. It is all, are you listening to me, or nothing. Now, so when the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth now comes our part. He gave his only begotten Son. That's all. Sin is so horrible that the only answer for sin 
was everything God had. Some of what God had could not have dealt with sin. You understand? One of the problems with Christians, we don't understand how horrible sin is. We don't. We consider sin a, a punctured tire. You know, I stubbed my toe. That's sin. Sin threatened the very existence of God's kingdom. And the only response for a, a threat of that magnitude, it was a Katrina, was everything God had. Anything less could not have handled sin. Now, in order for that, everything I have, to be effective in my life, I have to respond by giving what? Everything I have. You see, the only way sin can be dealt with is when God, having given all, given all, then I give all. That combination of all is the only way sin can be dealt with. But what happens most of the time? Here's all from God, and here's some from me, and nothing happens. It doesn't work. The only way it works is all and all. You know, when you uh, go shopping, you buy something that costs $17.75, you give a 20, you're looking for $2.25 back. Am I right? You want change. And when we give ourselves to God, we ask God for change. Lord, here's my life. I need change. Now, the change I want, let me control who I marry. That's the change. Let me control who, what man I'll hook up with. Let me decide my profession. Let me decide one thing. Let, there's something in our lives we want to decide. So give me change. When God gave Jesus, he said, keep the change. Take all. And Christ was not on loan to us. It was a permanent gift. Everything God has, he gave to us. Do you understand that's not symbolic language? We need to understand the love of God. People wonder, how can God be so cruel to burn people in hell? Is there any other response for someone who rejects everything God has than hell? Hell is the proper response for someone who sees God giving everything he has and says no. The only response for a man or a woman like that is hell. Because hell must be proportionate to the rejection of the gift. Question, don't answer me. Have you given all to God? Some Christians believe because they are blessed, as they interpret blessing, that they are in God's way. No, that's not true. In Matthew 5, verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now listen to this. For he maketh his son to rise on Christians. Is sunshine a blessing, yes or no? Is sunshine required for life on earth? Yes. Now God blesses the entire world, sinners and saints. 
So because the sun rose upon you, and yes, it's a blessing, that does not make you a child of God. Because God is merciful even to his enemies. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So we woke up this morning and we thank God he woke me up this morning. Who woke up the rapist in Chino? Not the warden, God. Who keeps Satan alive? It's God. So there's some, some things God does for everybody. So don't think because you have a job and you're, 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 you're not sick that you're blessed of God. If your life is not in harmony with God, if you know in your heart you haven't given all to God, don't count yourself as a child of God. Testimonies of Southern Africa, page 48, paragraph 3. He demands nothing short of absolute surrender to himself. Now, define absolute. 99%? Mm -mm. You either give God everything or you give him nothing. And there are too many of us who have made partial commitments to God. We serve him on layaway and it doesn't work. Manuscript releases, volume 7, page 164, paragraph 2. God will accept nothing less than absolute surrender of the mind, the heart, the will, the strength, the entire being to his control. How much more sweeping can Ellen White get in her language? It's all, you know, many Christians have never seen a miracle in their lives that other sinners get. And so whenever you have testimony time, the Lord woke me up. And after a while I get sick of that. Yeah, we know the Lord woke you up, but he woke up everybody else. What makes you different? My brothers and sisters, God hasn't changed. When was the last time you read Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14, I believe it is, recounting the blessings of obedience? Total obedience to God, which is total surrender. You and I, we hurt ourselves when we make a partial surrender to God. Because we deprive ourselves of blessings and miracles, which God will only perform for a surrendered person. And so I appeals to you this morning. What gives God the right to demand everything is because he first did what? Gave everything. And God says, on the moral, legal, ethical basis of my example, I have every right to require the same of you. Not just for my own gratification, but because that's the only way my gift can become effective in your life to your salvation. Now, the gift of Christ blesses everyone. We live, the sun, the rain, the grass, the trees. That is the result of Christ. Ellen White said, Calvary is stamped on every loaf of bread. Understand me carefully, the cross of Christ secures not only this earth, but unfallen worlds. But entrance into the kingdom of God is for those who have received God's all by making room in their life for the God's all by getting rid of their all. 
And so I ask you again, and I ask myself, have you really given your all to God? And if the answer is no, as I close the book, by the time you and I leave, the answer should be yes. Well, I'm not saying you should walk out of here perfect. You can't do that. You know what you can walk out of here with? Having given God a perfect heart. What do I mean by perfect heart? When God told Abraham, as I said last night, to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham started to act. He acted out of a heart that was fully determined to do what? Sacrifice that boy. God accepted it as actually having been done. You didn't hear me. Isaac was sacrificed right here. And God said, it is not necessary now to do it physically. You've done it. I see in your heart. That's where perfection begins. When you and I make up our mind, start with a decision. Start with a choice. Because Christ's Object Lessons, page 360 in paragraph 2, every act is judged by the motive. Motives come out of the heart. If you make up your mind right now to give everything you have to God, that's what he wants. Even if you slip in pursuit of that, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. When it is in the heart to obey God, and efforts are put forth towards this end, in the heart to obey, that's what he wants. And so today I ask you and I ask myself, are we willing from the heart to say, Father, I surrender my entire life to you. You have to make that decision. God will not make it for you. But in his mercy and his paternal love, he sends his Holy Spirit to tap you on the shoulder and to say, please, please make that decision. Give everything to Christ. After all, by his death on Calvary, he paid for you. And he is waiting to get what he paid for. And by withholding your life from him, you are guilty of theft. Thou shalt not steal. Stealing is taking what is not yours. Ye are bought with a price. We are not our own. And I wish we would take that literally. We would eat differently. We would dress differently. We would go different places if we understood. When an ambassador goes to another country, representing the United States, that ambassador watches what he says, where he goes, what he does. You know why? He is not his own. And the Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. I've stopped enough. I'm going to stop. But I must ask you, did you understand what I've been trying to say? Amen. It's all. Some is what? Nothing. Some of you didn't like that. It's okay. Some is nothing. People who burn in hell suffer different degrees of punishment. No, that's not, I didn't say that properly. All sinners will be lost. Are you understanding that? But how much they suffer before they die varies from sinner to sinner. 
That's why some are beaten with many stripes, some with few stripes. So there are some nice people who are going to hell. And they'll burn very short. But where, where are they? Hell. So when you make a partial surrender to God, which is significant in your eyes, and you decide, okay, I won't kill, I won't steal, I won't eat meat, fine. Nice man. Straight to hell. Burn short, you're gone. Now the guy who makes no surrender at all, he burns for two weeks, you burn for one and a half days, but all of you end up gone. To escape that flame, and I don't mean to use negative uh, motivation, but it's part of the biblical teaching. Jesus said, look, there's heaven and hell. To escape that, which is another way of saying to make an entrance into God's kingdom, requires a total surrender. Being nice is not good enough. I'm told, I never read it myself, Hitler was a vegetarian. That's what I'm told. He had a girlfriend from Ever Brown. I'm sure he bought her gifts and opened the door for her and took the parcels from her hand. Very nice. God doesn't want you nice. He wants you surrendered. Amen. You don't need God to be nice. No, you don't need God to be nice. There are a lot of things we can do without God. But we cannot be changed without God. We cannot be transformed. And the transformation must be total. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, he must be improved or you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Oh, that's what he said? Some of you said amen. What did Jesus say? You must be what? Born again. Your species won't get in. You must come back as a different species. Genetic information different. Because that which is born of the flesh is, and that which is born of the spirit is, there is no association between the two. John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth. You know, in the United States, a lot of hyphenated people, African-Americans hyphenated, or what's that, dash, whatever it is, that little line. Irish Americans, Iraqi Americans, uh, Polish Americans, huh? Mexican Americans, <laughs> Californian Americans. Now, all kinds of Americans in this country, hyphenated. Now, in the church, you've got fleshly spirits, vegetarian meat eaters, because when we're trying to combine the world with the. And it doesn't work. You cannot be a hyphenated child of God. You're either flesh or your spirit. Amen. I mean, if you want to be spirit, make a decision. Please make a decision. Not for me, for your own salvation. Please, God, make a decision. Lord, let me try. You know what God says? Prove me. And this concept of proving me is seen on television all day long. People advertise something. Here is something to dust the windows. You don't have to even get them out of your chair. Just dust the windows. And it. Okay, now, they tell you, I tried for how long? And then do what? If you don't like it, send it back. Now, God says, prove me for 30 days. If you don't like what I do, send me back. <laughs> this serious business. He said, prove me. This may sound strange. I don't want to be commercial. Prove God for a month. Hmm? Use a, it's a 30 days. If you don't like what God does for you, ask for a refund. No, I'm, I'm serious, I'm serious. 
You see, try God for a month. In one month, beginning now, you give your, now seriously, with all your heart, with all your heart, everything to God. All, all. And see what happens in your life. 30 days. I'll tell you something. After the first week, you'll forget 30 days. You'll want this relationship forever. Because God does not wait to demonstrate his pleasure. He acts quickly. Start changing your heart and your mind. And so I make the commitment myself to give everything I have to God. All of me. Mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, social, you name it. Cultural, give that to God. How many of you will make the same decision seriously? You have? Would you stand? You made it, you stand. You made it, sister? Stand up. You did it, brother? Stand up. Don't stand if you didn't make it. It's okay. Don't stand if you didn't make it. A total surrender to God. And I have a second call to make. Anyone else? Total surrender. If you make that total surrender, you have to go back and look at the music you have at home. Open your refrigerator. Open your closet. Look at your book of telephone addresses to see which to blot out. Look at your dating schedule. Give all of that to God. Heads bowed, eyes closed, then I have an appeal after this. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ, please receive us, God, as we give ourselves to you. Father, accept this surrender of ourselves to you. We give everything we have as far as we can, and we lay it on the altar of sacrifice. And Father, we pray you'll receive this submission. Fill us with your spirit. Give us the mind of Christ who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Give us that determination to obey you from the heart, regardless of the cost. Now, Father, I'm about to make another appeal. Heads remain bowed, eyes closed. If there's someone listening to me You'd like to make that kind of surrender, but you're scared. You really like, but you are scared. You're not clear. Do I really want to give everything to God? You'd like to make it, but you're scared. You'd like me to pray for you especially. Raise your hand. Okay, hands down. You've already made the surrender. That's why you're standing. If you've not made that total surrender, you're afraid. You like special prayer. You're the one I'm talking to. Raise your hand. 
Okay, you've not yet made a total surrender. Is that why you're raising your hand? You've not yet made it? Okay. Maybe I should say, for those of you sitting, if somewhere in your heart you want to do it, but you're not sure now is the time, and you'd like me to pray for you, raise your hand. Okay, I see your hand. Leave your hands in the air as I pray for you particularly. Father, look at the hands of those who are seated. They're not seated because they're bad. People go through different experiences before they come to that point. But they're raising their hands to say, Father, you know, my spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm asking you, their God, touch their hearts. Shine the light of divine common sense into their minds that they may quickly make that total surrender. Because the sooner they make it, the sooner the enemy's power is broken. The sooner they see demonstrations of your power in their lives. Touch them, their God, because you love them. And bring them to the place where they make that commitment. Hear this humble prayer, dear God. And for those of us who've made it, Lord, let us repeat it and renew it tomorrow. Or before we go to bed tonight. Because it must be a constant renewal of our surrender to you, God. Move in our lives in a way that becomes clear to us that heaven is moving. Change our tastes. Give us an appetite for spiritual things. Let us find joy in Bible study rather than novel reading. Let us find joy in spiritual things rather than television. Let us find joy in a company of saints rather than a company of sinners. Change our tastes. Give us holy urges, dear God. And give us a desire for the kingdom that will change our priorities. Please do that, Father. Do it. Because it is your will. It is your will. And you've said in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. This request is your will. Act upon it, dear God, and change us. Save us to your glory and to our joy. I offer this prayer from my heart, dear God. And I believe everyone is with me in the prayer. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Honey, man, God bless you. God bless you in all that you do. May God bless you.